Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the UW Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of the club onto the show to talk about a movie of their choice, whether that be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between. It's all up on the table. I'm your host, and joining me are all my returning co-hosts, Piper Coiner, Joel Garcia, Stephanie Tron, and Rohan Patel. What's up, guys? How is everyone doing? How are you feeling about our last Ghibli of our Ghibli Tribly trilogy? Ghibli Tribly tri- Ghibli trilogy. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's, it's like the one. So it's pretty nice like- to see it again. It is the magnum opus. It is my favorite Ghibli film of all time. It was the first Ghibli film I ever saw and it freaked me the fuck out, both in a good way and a bad way. If you guys don't know already by the title of this podcast, we are going to be talking about Hayao Miyazaki's Spirited Away. It's the only Ghibli film that's won an Oscar, if I'm correct. Yes? Yeah. Unfortunate. Yes, it is very unfortunate. Yep. As I've mentioned, I think it's Miyazaki's magnum opus, Joelle and Stephanie might disagree. I don't know if Piper and Rohan disagree on that as well. But yeah, for me, I have a very personal relationship with Spirited Away, and this is many people's gateway into the Ghibli film. So I was wondering, for those who have seen it, what is your own personal relationship with the film? When did you see it? What did you take away from the film? Especially because I've always, I think the last two podcasts, it's been really interesting to juxtapose how we thought about the film when we were young and how we were seeing it now. For me, like I saw it, geez, I don't remember. I was very small and you know, the reactions were more visceral. So I was just like afraid of no face. Basically afraid of like a lot of like, any like main character in the movie. I was like, yeah, like, you could shape shift. There's giant babies, big scary old ladies with big noses, you know? I guess juxtaposing it now, like you can like actually like tell the commentary politically about what it's like trying to say, as opposed to me just being a little kid and being like, wow, this is very pretty. But I still have that, wow, this is very pretty, but it's also like, you know, profound. So, yeah. Yeah, to like piggyback off of like all the fantastical absurdity that this film has created. It almost feels like an Alice in Wonderland kind of situation where it's just like a bunch of random crap getting thrown at you and it's both terrifying but interesting. And as I mentioned already, I watched this when I was young as well. And my first reaction was like, holy shit, this is so fucking scary. When Chihiro's parents turn into pigs, I remember just bursting (laughs) tears when I watched it because it was just so terrifying and then yeah no face and yababa did I say I think it's you baba and not yababa oh you baba oops my b and like the emphasis is on the baba like you baba I think sorry I'm bad with names as you can tell from all my episodes I've been on on the podcast where I refer to everyone as their actor's name rather than the actual (laughs) character name but yeah I, I feel like now, yeah, as you mentioned, Joel, it's so clear about like the critique on capitalism and industrialization. And we can get to that a little later. But also, I wrote this in my letterbox because I was feeling very sentimental and gushy. But I it just felt made me feel really existential in a way because it's all about Shahiro learning to quote unquote grow up, but at the same time, like understanding and realizing kind of the beauty in childhood and all the adventures you can go on as a child and like 
I literally just graduated. And so that feeling made me want to vomit <laughs> in a good way, I guess. But yeah, I don't think I felt that way when I watched this the first time. Uh, what about anyone else? I think Stephanie and Rohan have seen this before, but not Piper. I haven't seen this one. I didn't watch this one as a child. I watched it last year when all the movies became available on HBO Max. I think, honestly, my reaction was probably would have been the same. Like, the first time I watched it, I was like, ooh, fantasy. Ooh, pretty music. And I had a good time. Um, I think my letterbox review from the first time I watched it was like, that was super cool. I don't think I completely understood everything that happened, but it was super cool. Now when I watched it uh, last night, I was definitely seeing more of those themes, or I had more of a mental capacity to pay attention to those themes since I knew it was going to happen. What about you, Rohan? Yeah, it's the same deal. I I, I didn't have a, a wide film education when I was young, so first time I encountered this was in my technically 20s and so so that was last year when it came on HBO Max and I, I I thought it was wonderful I didn't really come in I knew Ghibli films were like great but I didn't know a way that exactly made them great so it was one of the first ones that I watched and like when I watched it I I didn't really think like in an intellectual way about it the themes it's so sewn in through everything that's being said and being done but it's so subtle to the point where like it's very hard to discern if you're not looking for it. If once I read about this themes about capitalism and evolution and all all sorts of stuff, like I think it, there's so much there's so much on that second watch that I got out of it that yeah, it, it still remains it's like top notch. I absolutely love how Miyazaki like tries to make this film for kids. Like I think he even says that many times throughout the years. Like he makes these films for kids, and the fact that he uses these themes in those films, I think, is really great. I think every time I've watched a Ghibli film for the first time, I try not to immediately go for like the deep stuff. I just want to experience it first. So the these past couple rewatches have been super fun because I'm like far more aware of the deeper themes that Miyazaki has obviously put into them. Question then, because like, I guess, because I haven't seen these since like many of these since I was like 10, 11, 12. So like, I feel like this rewatch of it for me personally has felt like a completely new thing, like where it's not like I'm completely remembering what went on in these movies, at least for Princess Mononoke and How I Was Moving Castle. I don't have like that visceral memory that I do with like Spirited Away. Um, I guess since Piper is the only one who has seen it for the first time, how obvious are the themes to you? And like, how do you approach a Ghibli film, especially with these like last couple ones and then Spirited Away, this one? Yeah, it definitely feels like something that I will need to rewatch. I think there are some movies that just like demand a rewatch. And I definitely think Spirited Away would be one of them. Cause I think that Mononoke and Howl's Moving Castle were a lot more explicit in their themes, it seemed to me. Like this was a more subtle in a way. Like, I think I was just, overwhelmed and totally entranced by the story of Chihiro that like, I guess I could see the capitalism thing, the stink monster, stink slug, the stink. Like when he like, yeah, yeah, when he like pukes up the bicycle and all the sludge from the river, I'm like, oh, okay, that's like a pretty clear theme there. But I I think I didn't really get into like the meaningful layer that made me like question society, like, you know, Mononoke did, or like Howl's Moving Castle made me just like super depressed in, in a way. 
you know, about like war and stuff, but this was ultimately really uplifting, even if it did touch on deep themes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably why it was like my favorite of the three. Ooh, yeah, we got to do some rankings at once. Yeah, um, of, at course, the end. of course, We you love putting everything. value on, on um, works of art. It's just <laughs> the way you do film criticism. There's a best for everything, of course, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I totally, totally get what you're saying. I feel like Spirited Away, I already talked about, kind of has like this Alice in Wonderland thing where it's just like so many weird, absurd things getting thrown at you. Like you have, you know, water spirits, you have talking frogs, you're getting thrown into the spirit world where humans are like the outlier, like to be a human is to smell funny and to be weird. And like, there's a guy with like eight arms. I don't know if he has eight arms. Um, I'm inclined to think he does. He's he's like an eight bug or insect. Yeah, and then I don't know what Lynn is supposed to be. She's not human, but like she looks like she's human. But there are other like girls, and they have like an extra eye or something or something. And she just like hers is like hidden by her hair or something, so she like comes across as human or something. (laughs) Yeah, and then you have like no face, kind of an expression of loneliness and that and then you have the fat baby and then you have <laughs> you baba like it's so much and then in our group chat hyper you met you texted the little ducky thing like oh, they're ginormous <laughs> the huge yeah, the <laughs> ducks. like so funny. just listing off all those things you're like if no one has seen if someone was listening to this podcast and hadn't seen spirit away i feel like they'd come away being like what the fuck why are there so many <laughs> random shit random little quirks and entities why is she mentioning all that but like i feel like that's what makes spirit away work in a way like it in it forces you into the world almost immediately and I think the way they set it up as like oh what is this mysterious abandoned amusement park it kind of sets us up really nicely in terms of like questioning the world around us so then when Miyazaki just throws (laughs) all these different things you're like yeah of course of course those things would come because like who knows what this amusement park is capable of quote-unquote amusement park they call it that but yeah I guess it would yeah it would totally make sense why something like this would be super overwhelming but in a sense I think it's like only to its advantage I feel like I don't know I'm super biased with this about this film like I cannot see this film in a different way it's very meaningful to how I relate to film so yeah if anyone wants to agree or disagree with that yeah, like I think I think with the mention of all those characters, like there's such a complex world that's beyond just Jihiro and what we see through her journey that like I think that's what the best animation and just general best storytelling does is like you know that there's a world around like especially with these fantastical journeys, there's such a world beyond what we're seeing and it makes me feel, you know, on the one hand, I feel like I don't really understand. Like, I feel like this is such a complex film just on a plot and world building level that like, I don't really grasp it 100% when I watch it. But like, it's a journey that I go on that makes me feel like a kid again. Like, I don't really understand. And just all this wonderful shit is happening to me or to Chihiro. And like, I don't know, it just puts a smile on my face. I think it 
also works because it's like a really classic story structure is definitely like reminds me of the odyssey and also like how cersei like turns all those men into pigs that's like clearly yubaba and i think it works because it's like the hero's journey and it's just really immersive not that you know the other ghibli films aren't like focusing on like the development of a certain character but this is just like really well-rounded like very well structured and i think something that we've all seen many times before but that's just like so so it's so efficient <laughs> yeah and i think to kind of go on to like the complex world and characters like we mentioned in princess mononoke how oh my god main male guy what's his name again ashitaka ashitaka like i remember me saying like he was like the most boring character in the whole film and he's like the main character I feel like in Spirited Away like you have so many of these different characters and you care about every single one of them to a certain degree like I find myself thinking like oh how's Lynn like Lynn even has like a little story arc of like not trusting this human girl and like giving her the worst tasks and then seeing Chihiro develop makes her like realize like we shouldn't be so judgmental in thought just because someone isn't part of the world or something like that. Even like the baby has like a little narrative arc about like not wanting to go outside and having adventures and stuff like that. So it's like these little little side characters, they all get their kind of spotlight. And it also just kind of reiterates the thing that Miyazaki has shown throughout the last two films that we've watched is just like they're the ambiguity of good and bad is very inherent, very there in a way. I think, I don't know. I do come away thinking like Yubaba is kind of a dick, <laughs> but like mostly like Chihiro is kind of annoying at the beginning as well, like her complaining a lot, but at the same time, she's really young as well, which is like, I think a huge th thing about this film is just how much it emphasizes her youth in a way. So yeah, yeah. Definitely. Stephanie, Joel, do you guys have any thoughts? Yeah, I think just like the structure of like the portal fantasy and like how it's paced, just like also just, yeah, sort of piggybacking, I guess, but just favors it really well. And that just throws you in to the immersion like super quickly and like gives Miyazaki like all that agency to be like, okay, we're here. This is happening now. But it doesn't feel rushed either. Like you're just immediately there. Like the way Chihiro explores the, the city is like how we explore it. And it's overwhelming. It feels kind of overwhelming. But since she's kind of our surrogate, we kind of relate. And so it's not necessarily like, oh, I'm just getting thrown. It's like, oh, no, I'm relating to the protagonist. So it makes sense. I feel this way. And I'm trying yeah. to And that like lost feeling also like, I think also is like favored by like Haku coming in like pretty quickly and then being like, oh, hey, like this, like shit's happening. Like, this is what's happening. We got to go now. We got to do this. And then so it just like throws you in. So like almost like how a video game almost would. And like also, also it's like a lot of those like flat shots. I don't know. It makes you think of like Mario or some shit. Dude, when he like puts his hand on her and then tells her like, this is where yeah. you go. Yeah. Uh -huh. I was like, this is some video game shit. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I, I think another part of that, that, that whole getting lost is like just the amount of detail. Like I'm sure in the last two podcasts you've praised like, the animation style how detailed everything is but like I was watching it and I'm like like I'm in genuine disbelief that like nothing came out of a computer like at least, even if it's 2d like it didn't come out of a computer somehow um and the fact that you know Miyazaki pays attention to every little detail it just like 
adds a little bit more, you know, detail, a little bit more facts to the world that's at hand. And I think that's another reason why I get lost like Jihiro does is because everything is so detailed and so precise that it kind of feels overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Also, I just realized that um, we didn't really give a plot synopsis for this film and we've just talked about it for a good 10 minutes, but that's okay. A lot of podcasts I listen to, they don't get to the plot description until like the hour mark because, you know, you just want to talk about the film right away. I chose this film technically for the last one, right? Yeah. Does anyone want to give the plot synopsis other than me, Cynthia? I can, I can do if you don't want to. You know, the Princess Mononoke one just was quite long and rambly, so it might be for the listener's best interest for you, Stephanie, to give so, the plot synopsis. Our main character is Chihiro, and she and her parents are in the middle of moving when they come across this abandoned area, and Chihiro's parents get turned into pigs because magic, and Chihiro herself gets trapped in this bathhouse with fan- fantastical creatures and she signs a work contract with the witch in charge and she has to work in this bathhouse and she sort of goes through like a there's also a dragon sorcerer's apprentice shapeshifter who helps her helps her out along the way and she goes through this um self determination and growth where she like becomes brave and starts to like not be scared of everything as she was in the beginning of the film and it just culminates in a very nice arc that wasn't very coherent but probably better than what i have done which is pretty much like cynthia reads off a wikipedia page essentially that it's the equivalent when i girl and creatures have adventure yes yes just to add on to a little bit oh shit what's his name again haku Haku, yeah, Haku works for Yubaba and then gets in trouble with Yubaba's twin sister. (laughs) And then they go and try to resolve the trouble that he causes with the twin sister. And yeah, (laughs) and growing up. But yeah, um, I guess we can, since we have now gotten the plot synopsis out of the way, we mentioned a bit about kind of not... Um, noticing the themes more the second time we watched especially two that stand out to me the most is its critique on capitalism and its critiques on pollution and not necessarily climate change but like destroying our earth and environmentalism so I guess we can start off with its kind of critiques on capitalism what I found the most interesting kind of is how immediate Haku is like get to work, the work will be your protective spell. And then, and he, and he goes, you must like, just continuously demand for work. Do not take no for answer in terms of work. And then what's so jarring about that and what I found kind of interesting was how Miyazaki constantly emphasizes Chihiro's youth in a way and her inexperience in this working field. And I found that clash to be the critique in a way in terms of just like so the only way a 12 year old can be protected by the society around us is to force them into labor so that Yubaba can get rich like this old lady can make money off 
a 12 year old's labor. It was so just jarring to see Chihiro cry about missing her parents or not knowing how to throw the coal into the fire burner because she's 10 and she's not expected to know those things. And watching that kind of jarring juxtaposition was very eye-opening to me. Definitely didn't get that, catch that like when I was watching it the first time. But what about you guys? What what really... I guess, do you think this film has critique on capitalism or if Cynthia's going crazy or you do think there is and like what stands out to you the most? I mean, what stands out to me is the concept of food as like material. Like, you know, the reason they turn into pigs, uh, uh, Chihiro's parents turn into pigs is because they're eating all this delicious food that it's interesting because like you don't really know where it comes from. They just see the product and they like immediately go for it. Um, because they're hungry and that's all they're thinking about at that moment and then you see that line that's like who cares dad has credit cards he can do whatever he wants yeah and I was and I I saw I remember that too and then there's another moment the late like when when everything starts you know when the night starts coming on and you know all the spirits come out you see Chihiro starting to turn into a ghost and then Haku says like you need to eat food from this place or you're going to disappear and nobody's going to notice you. And that sort of really stood out to me because as a small detail, because it's like, oh, Chihiro has to participate in the system of you put in work and you receive sustenance and you receive, you know, basic, your basic ability to survive in this world, even though you're not really born to do it, which is like going back to your point, Cynthia, like the juxtaposition there is like, Chihiro isn't born to be part of this system of capitalism Miyazaki creates in this world, but nonetheless, she has to be in there in order to get what she wants, which is to ultimately rescue her parents. Yeah, also just like, oh, you go. Oh, I was wondering if I, if there was like a, like a Hades and Persephone with the five pomegranate seeds reference with the whole, like, she has to eat or else she'll fade away, but I'm not sure that entirely checks out. Because Persephone eats the seeds and she's trapped is not entirely the same thing, but I think it could be because like she's she's she enters the system and she sort of has to keep working in order to survive. So I think there's maybe a connection, especially yeah. with what Piper said about the like, Odyssey. If she or fades the, away, the... she's like technically not trapped. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Way she doesn't have to work. <laughs> Joel, um, what were you gonna say? Or Piper? Yeah. Like follow up question. Were there like faded people in the amusement park? I felt like they were kind of like shadows or spirits, or were those just like monsters who were just kind of like blob like? Like the uh-huh. big, like black transparent things? Uh huh, yeah. What were those? I don't know. Maybe I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just like remember like as night fell, there were a bunch of those in the food stalls and it's kind of eerie, but yeah. And they were working themselves, like they were like part of the whole system of Yubaba and whatnot. Yeah, and then like the people on the train too were just like shadow figures. Maybe it's like what Shihiro would have been yeah. if she didn't eat. I'm not sure. I, I never really thought to question that, but that might be interesting to think about too. Yeah, just like they're also like clothed like businessmen and shit too. The ones on the train. Mm-hmm. Like it like some of them even have like I think briefcases. That's- that's like a thing in japan though it's like 
like Japan has a culture of overwork, and so yeah. there are pictures of like Japanese businessmen just like asleep on the ground in the train station and stuff like that. That I guess is probably what Miyazaki's getting at here with that. I was thinking about No Face and his greed a lot this this time around, mm-hmm. and how he's just like he's like learning off of what how people mm-hmm. act around him. Like, he's producing the gold and eating the food because it's what the people around him want, and they're just, like, catering to him because of their own greed, and he's learning from it. And he's, because Chihiro has no greed of her own, she's, like, immune to him. But I liked, I really liked the symbolism of that. I totally agree with you, Stephanie, on terms of the symbolism and greed. I think there's something so interesting about kind of how that reflects our society and how we interpret Because, like, No Face is, like, kind of the, like, embodiment of also human loneliness in a way. He's doing this because he thinks that's going to get people to like him and want to be with him and hang out with him, in a sense. And the positive reinforcement of, I think I'm using that term correctly, I haven't. I took Psych 101 and just repressed everything. (laughs) Machine learning. In my head. Um, but like, yeah, the positive kind of reinforcement that he's getting as he's like dropping gold in a way, it's almost similar to how like when you watch an influencer or someone, they're, they, they're like, they have so much money and they're like, like David Dobrik, like fuck that guy. But like people love him because he like gives away Teslas and shit, you know, it's like his behavior, he does it because he's getting reinforced by the people around him in a way it seems and it i i think no face kind of exemplifies that also like fuck david domerick that guy's such a fucking ass yeah consumerism totally uh i think you know like the first time i watched it with his little kid i was like ah he's eating a lot of stuff but like now it's like very clear that that's a commentary on like over consumption and how that reflects and it's a cyclical process of like you live to consume and be consumed i guess and just like either you're part of the machine or like you get eaten by a scary witch so <laughs> yeah i always use that that picture of no face eating all the food for a happy thanksgiving post <laughs> at film club honestly uh, that fits so well yeah. i thought it was interesting like i don't know i totally viewed him as like this benevolent kind figure at the beginning you know how he like gives her the bath tokens um and then I was like yes when he like tricked the frog and swallowed him because the frog was like super irritating you know that tiny little guy he's like but then I started to feel bad almost that he was like tricking the people and giving them gold because like it's not their fault that they want the gold you know like they're not Yubaba at the head of the food chain like being Mm -hmm. super greedy they just want to like I don't know pad their lives a little bit so yeah it definitely took a turn yeah, I felt I- the same way, though, the first time I saw it. I was like, oh, look at this generous, benevolent spirit. I mean, I still think, I mean, I think I still feel that way because of the way Miyazaki kind of introduces him as, like, this guy who seemingly just wants to not be lonely. And he, the way he processes, like, the information of, oh, I don't want to be lonely is to give people money and, like, overindulge them in a way. Because, like, everything he does is, like, to an excess. It's like, oh, you got me one of the tags? No, actually, you got me, like, 20 tags, even though I only needed one tag. 
And like the way his arc ends when he goes to Zaniba, is that what the- I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zaniba and he's like enjoying her company and being of a use that's not, like you almost feel like that sense of loneliness is kind of draped throughout his character that like yeah it's like pretty sucky that he like tricks these people who yeah as you mentioned Piper they're at the bottom of the food chain the only way they know how to think that someone should be at the top is a lot of money because Yubaba is at the top of the food chain controlling everything and the one thing she has the most of is money and magic but but yeah it it I think this there's a sense like of loneliness that's like always there throughout no face and just the way his character is designed that you almost like I at least for me it, it's hard to like not constantly feel bad you know like I I consistently see where he's coming from in terms of what he is doing and I guess that's kudos to Miyazaki again for creating such complex characters who could be re- relegated as just good or bad and yeah I I love no face I love that character even though he scared the shit out of me as a little kid. Was it the teeth? The teeth and the fact that he had legs. Like if he Arms. was just floating, like I'd have been cool, but he fucking walked and I was like, ah, oh, this is weird. Like crab walk, crab walk yeah. all over the place. Yeah, Nuts. exactly. Even the slits for eyes are scary. Like just his mask is scary. Mm-hmm. He always, his design always reminds me of that poster for the girl who walks home alone at night. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's always been the teeth. Like the thing that scared me the most was like the, the weird horse teeth. Like mouth and the <laughs> fact that he has a mouth that is just like in his throat. Yeah. Like, I think he's like a very cute design when he's like very skinny. And oh, yeah, like on the train, I'm like, oh, it's like, I'd say hi, you know? Oh my God. That train sequence kills me every time. Oh yeah. The train montage. So that's like the first like breath like outside like the factory like outside mm-hmm. of just like mini moments like that's really oh like we're going somewhere the mouse yeah. is standing up trying to look out the window that's so cute mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's like joel as you mentioned it's kind of like a breath of, not a breath of fresh air but like a like a exhale in a way mm-hmm. and it lets you kind of contemplate what shihiro has gone through in a really well paced manner and it kind of helps you like reflect like holy shit, this is like, again, a 10-year-old girl and she just did all that, all that labor and dealt with all the, the magic. <laughs> and and the soundtrack playing in the background. This has to be my, I think this or Castle in the Sky are my favorite Miyazaki soundtracks. I don't know about you guys, but it's like so perfect. Oh yeah, the soundtrack's amazing. Yeah, this, yeah. One, this, this one's top notch for sure. I can play it on piano. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. I Well, I watched it and I got obsessed, so I found the sheet music and I learned it, which is usually what happens now with me and piano. Yeah, that's me and my relationship with piano. I was obsessed with the Succession theme song, so I learned it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so yeah, we, I mentioned a bit about like the themes about capitalism and critiquing that, and it's, it's, it's definitely, I would say it's definitely critiquing capitalism industrialization unless someone doesn't agree which it doesn't seem like that yeah 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 (laughs) 
Okay, um, Rohan, you brought up the kind of themes about pollution, and this one actually, like, I completely did not remember this the first time I watched, like, the, 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 the stink god, stink god, not the river spirit, like, stink for spirit? some reason, yeah. Spirit. yeah, for some reason, did not register in my mind the first time I watched this, and especially since we just, we, we just watched Princess Mononoke, which is all about, like, the natural world i think i mean i think it's critiquing kind of the same things but in a much more modern sense um in a way just because like the river threw up like a bicycle and a chair and like things that you would see in the does, does it throw up a car am i hallucinating that i don't know it could have i think there, there was a, yeah. i knew i just knew there were a lot of objects like i didn't really discern anything beyond like maybe the chair and the bicycle mm-hmm. yeah just like the amount of garbage that he has consumed in a way piper you mentioned kind of how this this was like the most direct um thematic quality to it that you saw i guess it it's really only really done at that moment right when he throws up the things oh. I was thinking like with Haku, um, he can't go back to his river because his river has been like paved over. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and he like he doesn't even remember like his name, right? Yeah, and then yeah. like just the idea of like all those abandoned theme parks lying about, like the boom of I don't know like theme park industry in the '90s, and then like abandoned buildings with such waste too. It's I, also I, interesting. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I I just think that was more clear to me than like the capitalism because that's like a bit more complicated but yeah I was uh, oh sorry I was just gonna say like the other things like the bat the bathhouse is run on coal, uh, coal and that that's also something that 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 stood out to me like the first image of the bathhouse from what I remember it's like the bathhouse and then there's just a chimney with smoke coming out of it um that's that also was like an image that like stuck out to me like the first time I saw the bathhouse so I think that was also another sign towards that theme I totally forgot about this but the kanji for the the the, the Yubaba's place is I don't know how to pronounce it in Japanese but it's the same like the same character in Chinese is yo which is oil oil yeah yeah I saw that too I just um, I would also that. I would also add to the coal thing is that I've been to hot springs in Japan and they're supposed to be like natural like from the mountain kind of stuff but the I, I think I it must be pretty telling that they're using coal instead instead of like the natural hot springs from like the mountains and stuff like that the other big theme that sort of ties into it is the there's like a westernization theme because Yubaba is dressed in like a western dress and her penthouse apartment her residence at the top of the bathhouse is like um styled like she's wearing all these like fancy jewels on her hand and everything and so that like that's like another layer to the whole thing i just realized this too but haku when he was in his is he was a dragon like that that's his dragon form um but anyway he when he was getting attacked he was getting attacked by paper birds which i i think sort of again goes at this maybe maybe it's another pollution thing maybe i'm stretching but i mean i doubt it like one of the interesting things like revisiting kind of all these Miyazaki films is like yeah Miyazaki is kind of like a humanist in a way but he's also like super pessimistic about our world in a way I think this film is the most uplifting in a way but there's still these like really heavy concepts that 
are just they feel like so inevitable and so distressing and so burdensome like pollution capitalism westernization these are all just very they're big buzzwords that you could probably say and like make someone think you know what you're talking about but at the same time like they're part of our society and they're huge things that I think that's why I like find this film so I mean all Miyazaki films as I've like reevaluated kind of what they have to say they they are exploring these huge things but also understanding kind of how big and nasty they are as well so I feel like yeah the paper birds that probably is something like you know I would have to think about it a little bit but that could totally be something you can write a research paper on that if you want (laughs) it's your thesis yeah your thesis you're a cms major right rohan honestly i've been thinking about my capstone as we've been watching these and i'm like you know what i could do one on like animated movies in general and how people need to stop writing them off as kids (laughs) movies with one layer Anyways, you could. I was the one who wrote 10 pages about how we should stop yelling at teenage girls for liking Twilight. So, (laughs) you know, doable. The other thing that I was thinking about when I watched this movie is so I took a class on human trafficking in the spring. And so part of that was we were talking about labor exploitation and like Mm -hmm. (laughs) happens in this, like when the all the workers are like living together in one room. That, like, that shit happens in real life. Like, employers, usually in the agricultural sector, they can, like, blackmail unauthorized immigrants and be all like, I'll just deport you if you say anything. Now 30 of you have to live in the same apartment together and work for mere cents every hour. Like, that's, like, a thing, and it happens. Yeah, but in, like, to kind of accentuate it, and I think to make it more comprehensible for kids, it's, like, that of, like, I can force you to work, and I'm still paying you, but for here, it's, like, I can force you to work because you will die. Like the only way to be protected, quote unquote protected, is to work. That's like a form of exploitation in itself. So yeah, definitely. And Chihiro is a child. Child yes. labor. The child labor thing like really struck me. It was disgusting in a way that made me feel very like, ugh. And then in a way, like I'm coming at this at a level that is not human trafficking or that I am like in the midst of like having to be deported but like in a way like us as 20 early 20 year olds now having to probably look for work I mean 20 years is a lot to have learned but it's also like really young and all of a sudden you're forcing like you're asking like early 20 year olds to like understand stocks or like go into labor because they need even people who are like younger than us like entering the workforce because that is just how our society is predicated on you go to school so you can work is fucked in a way and as someone who's starting literally a full-time job in months like that (laughs) that fucked me this movie fucked me up hard so yeah 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 definitely not feeling existential at all no definitely not and they forced Chihiro to take on the stinky customer because mm. because she's a human um side note I loved how everyone was animated when the stinky the stinky <laughs> spirit came in like the the animation lines all like shaking and everything that was so funny 
I didn't Wait, notice who, it the first time. Who 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 watched the Japanese version? So then you had subtitles. Joel, did you see how they they translated her words? Oh. Yeah, it's like <laughs> when the stinky... are happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Uh, the the sink scene was funny. Like them all like fainting and then like freaking out. That was good. I like that. Also, that's like the, is that the first moment where like Chihiro has a like flashback of when she met like Haku for the first time? Yes. I'm not sure. I don't remember that clearly. But speaking of those flashbacks, what did you think of them? I remember the first time I watched them, I was just like, huh? But this time it felt so natural in a way. And maybe it's just because like we are on a Miyazaki bend. And so like my mind has like, twisted in a way where it's just like yeah anything could happen <laughs> what did you think about like that connection all these three movies all have like love as like a very essential thing I think this one is the least amount I guess is it least I don't know actually it's platonic which is important, yeah I think. yeah lots of children falling in love though <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lots of like well, love can save the day love is the only thing <laughs> yeah brought back to life because of your love but i still like it <laughs> i mean she like she she's like vouching for him at the end of the movie and i think that's so i guess this is very similar to sophie and how moving castle but she's like the the bond that she has with haku i think is no doubt very important to her own development mm-hmm. um, where she sort of finds a footing in um something that she cares about and that she's not willing to compromise Mm -hmm. even if she is afraid herself. I think the way they set up Haku, Joelle, as you mentioned, they kind of bring him in really early as the person who knows kind of the answers to the questions that both us as the audience and Shihiro has. So like, it makes it almost believable that she has that attachment to him, whether it's love or literally like, this guy is the only way I will survive kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, I think because when we talked about How's Moving Castle, like I kind of talked about how I I, I sometimes had a hard time believing in kind of the love aspect. It like almost felt too good to be true in a way that was kind of ironic. You can debate me about that or not, but I feel like in Spirited Away, it's so introduced so early, but it's also like, I don't know, because it's like, it's not very important and they don't really make it to be important in a way other than like, she feels a connection and she's growing up you know so yeah because like I think what's always stood out to me about Miyazaki films it's like oh my god love yeah as you mentioned Piper love will save the day yay 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 but like I think and Princess Mononoke and Howl's Moving Castle that kind of idea is very in your face that you're almost like what the okay as I guess as like a huge pessimist about the world in general but like in spirit away I didn't really have that kind of uh okay I, I don't believe I like I I felt I I was like yeah of course (laughs) I don't know what you guys thought about that I think the ending is also to add on to what you're saying the ending is also really important because they like I think about the ending a lot because they they say goodbye and he's all like she's all like will we meet again and he's like I'm sure of it and then he says um all right go go back and don't look back which is like like, I mean, that's not like the they live together happily ever mm-hmm. after kind of ending, but it is like a they like are secure in their their own developments. I guess I don't know. I just think it's it's a mature decision for them to separate mm-hmm. at the end. Mm-hmm. 
which I, I think almost strengthens my belief in their relationship and their connection together. That's interesting. Uh, that just reminds me of the of another Greek myth, um, the one where Orpheus is leaving. I think it's Orpheus mm-hmm. leaving from the underworld. And a portrait of, oh yeah, Uranus, a portrait of the lady. Portrait of yeah. Lady yeah. On fire. God, yeah. fuck, fake film. Yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What were you going to say about that? <laughs> yeah. Just oh, sorry. I, I, I was just thinking portrait. Good film. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I was just saying, like, um, sort of the idea of the, the strengthening of the relationship. It's like, if you look back at the one you sort of love, if we're thinking of it less platonically and more romantically based off of the myth, or either way, it doesn't really, but like, you sort it sort of disappears. Like that relationship, that memory sort of fades when you try to pr- pursue it, maybe. Um but like if if she doesn't look back and she keeps going, she'll have that memory for the rest of her life rather than believing that it may be all fake, which is like, you know, based off of that, you know, it could have been all fake or it may have never existed. Not even fake. It may have never existed. So that stupid Dr. Seuss quote. It's not stupid. Cheesy where it's like smile. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. That, that That's the quote, right? Yes, I, I believe so. <laughs> no, but I, I, I love I love the ending of this film as well. And you definitely have a I yeah, I totally agree with you, Stephanie, of just like them separating makes it a much more mature and believable ending. It's not like super sweet, it's bittersweet. And I think that kind of tone always strikes well with me in my inner core or it's not like oh they live happily ever after yay or well I think Princess Mononoke's ending is gorgeous but um yeah yeah I guess my reference to that was more of Howl's Moving Castle but um yeah kind of the don't don't look back and then and then she does when she leaves the tunnel so almost kind of re-solidifying like I am going to grasp on to whatever I had almost like kind of childhood memories of like oh as we grow up we kind of think and want to repress everything that we've done as children because it's like immature quote-unquote immature but at the same time like there's there's a beauty um in that that Chihiro is able to look back on fondly and remember I love how in the end like the parents have no idea what happened um and then they say the exact same irritating things that they did at the beginning like the mom's like don't cling on to me like you're gonna make me trip Mm -hmm. there's like nothing more frustrating than being a kid and like having something really exciting happen and like your parents don't want to pay attention to you or they're like too busy thinking about other things or like they've got no idea what's going on in your kid brain like oh the, the parents, they are something. <laughs> but I, I don't know if I'm thinking too much into this, but I think at the end, they're like, the car has dust on it. Is that kind of, I don't know. I kind of saw that as like memories turning into dust in a way. I don't know if I'm thinking too hard. I had something about that, but now I can't think of what I thought about that. I mean, on, on a surface on a surface level, like it, it could also be, because like, when I first watched this film, I was like, so did none of that happen? Like, was that all in her imagination? And so I think that may be like on a, on a surface level, just like me as kind of answering that question, even though it may not matter as to like the actual meaning of the film, like 
it was certainly something that was on my mind. So the dust may be sort of a way to answer that as in yes, the passage of time, like that was all real. Yeah, I, I thought that meant that it did happen, that it took a long time out of their lives and the parents were so concerned about like getting to their new house before the movers arrived. <laughs> and it's like mm -hmm. well past that and you've forgotten a whole huge chunk of your life. They're sad. <laughs> oh man, just the, the, the dad like speeding like as he like thinks he knows where he's going i i that i i related to that with my own parents who are like yeah totally know where i'm going and then just and then we get lost very relatable in that sense all right cool i think i don't know if you guys have anything else to say about this film i think if we talked more it could just go on for way too long and we are around the hour mark so just to kind of wrap it all up what was everyone's favorite creature there were a lot of creatures in this. I don't know, like the mouse baby and his the little- mouse baby? Oh my God. Oh, yeah. When the mouse baby, when Zuniba's like, well, they could, the, the protective spell is off. They can come back. I was like, yeah, oh no, please do not go back as giant baby. Keep as small rats. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I, 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 I differ. My favorite, my favorite creature, quote unquote, is the big baby. Big baby's great. <laughs> Big baby, no. big baby, and no. in the in the in, in the pile of pillows is somehow so adorable to me. I That's don't know horrifying. Why. <laughs> That's so scary. Babies are small, and they should stay small. They should never be giant. No, I don't know. In my mind, it magnifies the cuteness, like it, it like it multiplies it rather than like that the baby wolf. was about to break Chihiro's arm. That was like yeah. the opposite. I that was baby afraid. broke through a door. Okay, like <laughs> that is true. Horrifying small animals small dogs you know cute so like i think those are just the rules the baby reminded me of that like tiktok or youtube video of the giant baby like humping a pillow oh yeah yeah <laughs> Fuck so that thing. sorry <laughs> so yeah no no to no. the giant baby <laughs> even though i think my favorite creature is no face so i don't know just the ambivalent relationship you know I love No Face. I love No Face more than Giant Baby. <laughs> so I'll agree with you, Joel. I think I have to go with the soot. Oh. They're so cute. I love them. I was, um, me and one of my friends were actually, we were looking at this temporary tattoo company. They sell like, they look like real tattoos and they last like two weeks. And we were thinking about getting some, but there were some Ghibli ones. <laughs> and there was like, there's like Totoro. And then there's like just various Ghibli symbols. And one of them was like just some soots and some stars. And I was like, I might do that one, honestly. I mean, my favorite character, or just like on a surface level of cuteness or intrigue, the ducks, love the ducks, the giant ducks just chilling in the hot tubs or the the giant white thing with the bowl on its head I and was the elevator. Say the radish and he had the huge radish. yes <laughs> he was like bouncing at the end i love it hey bird what about you since you placed I, the i was literally just gonna say the duck and the radish but probably yeah. our number one because <laughs> everything's supposed to be like a monster and they're so cute <laughs> oh just like even the radish like helping chihiro out and like leading her to the right um entrance so cute so good all right i think that's a that's oh go ahead piper the frog that i was complaining about earlier the little oh, like the frog. frog yeah like when no name no name my god i was thinking of like okay no <laughs> rapper yeah, yeah. <laughs> when no face like spits him up into the water and then he like 
frog swims back to the pool. It was cute. <laughs> I love how he was just like, yeah, okay. And then swims back as he gets thrown back up. If you love cute things, you gotta watch Totoro Piper. Mm-hmm. I'd love that. All right, cool. Great film. Fantastic film. Five stars out of five stars. Hayao Miyazaki's magnum opus, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, as I ha- just dictated that, as per usual of our one-time only other tradition, it's now a tradition because we've done it once and we're about to do it twice. So yeah, since we are ending our Ghibli trilogy, of course, this does not encapsulate all of Hayao Miyazaki or Studio Ghibli's work, but I think these are great three points of interest if anyone wants to dive in or wants to be introduced to the world of Miyazaki. I don't know if Spirit of Away is actually a good gateway, but who knows? It was mine. <laughs> Totoro, Totoro and Ponyo are better gateways, maybe? Maybe, depending on your age. Yeah. Starting out with Spirited Away is like, that's a lot. <sighs> Even I think Mononoke as well. Howl's maybe less so, but Mononoke and... Mononoke I'd say Kiki's. super depressing. Ooh, Kiki's is good. Yeah. Oh, Kiki's, yeah. Kiki's is a good one as well. Okay. But yes, as per our other time we've done it, hence it's now a tradition, to everyone who has who is here, Stephanie and Piper were on all three pods, and Joel was on two, and Rohan is only on one. But we've all seen all three. So how would you rank all three of the films that we've watched for this Miyazaki trilogy? This is the end-all be-all, guys. <laughs> it's, it's Howl's Spirited Away and then Princess Mononoke. Um, but they're all at the top. Mine is Princess Mononoke, Spirit Away, then Howls. But also, yeah, all number one in my heart. <laughs> so wow, everyone is just just no, I'm kidding. No hot takes, no hot takes. Rohan Piper. Yeah, mine's a Spirited Away, Mononoke, and then Howls. And I will say I don't like Howls that much personally, and I'm very sad I didn't get to voice that on the pod. But. Um, <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of Howls. I think our Howls conversation is weird <laughs> and interesting. So, Piper? Um, Spirited Away, then Howls, and then Mononoke. Yeah, that's the same order in which I watched them. Huh? Like, reverse of the order in which I watched them. <laughs> Mononoke was the first I watched. Maybe it was just, like, diving into the deep end, but I did that's like like, I think, his most depressing. Yeah. But my my order is the same as yours, Piper. Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, and Princess Mononoke. Howl's is only high up if I read, if I let myself just embrace the way I've read it. So (laughs) if you want to know how I've read it, you can hear me ramble on for a good 20 minutes about that in our previous podcast. But yeah, they're all super super good if you're interested in any more they're all on hbo max i believe or you can get like a vpn and watch it on netflix uk which unfair i wish it was on netflix but i guess hbo max just you know you gotta cord cut and then pay the same amount of money that it is to get cable but yeah so that was our rankings of the studio ghibli films um And that concludes our Ghibli trilogy. Yeah. All right. Um, Obviously, our rankings are the objective truth and the only truth. Yeah, because we know everything about film. But um, yeah, so because we're wrapping up our Ghibli trilogy, um, we've decided to start a new trilogy because we 
love trilogies and we think trilogies just I think that totally is enough to encapsulate a filmmaker's work in general. And so we've decided to go into the work of Colin Pressburger. They're a filmmaking duo from the UK. For some reason, like, I always think that they're comedy, but they're not really. It's like both comedy and drama. Are they part of the British social realism movement or is that earlier or later? I forget. I don't know. I don't think they are. Um, we can give you more detail about that when we start our trilogy. But yeah, we all wanted to kind of watch something that was not necessarily, at least the out of the comfort zone for a lot of us, but I think a lot of people in the film viewer public. Plus, I think all of us, or at least me personally, I just really want to, I need motivation to watch The Red Shoes. I've always wanted to watch it. It looks like my jam and I need to, and I've, it's been on my watch list forever. So this is a good excuse for me personally. <laughs> um, we're going to be starting that trilogy. We are going to be starting off with The Matter of Life and Death, which we had like a whole debacle of if we could <laughs> access it or not, but we can. So we are choosing that as a way to start our Powell and Pressburger trilogy. So yeah, if you're interested in that or our previous Jilly podcasts or our previous Anderson podcast or just any previous podcast in general you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Um, if you want more information about upcoming screenings or uh, reviews of upcoming films or just information about Film Club in general, you can check us out on our social medias at Film Club at UW on Instagram and Twitter and UW Film Club on Facebook. And you can also check out more writing at students.washington.edu film. But other than that, um, I hope you guys enjoyed our Ghibli trilogy and hope you guys join us as we discover Paul and Pressburger. For many of us, it'll be the first time watching their films. So yeah, hopefully um, you tune into that and catch you guys again next week. Bye.